I am Vinky and this is the Working Athlete Podcast. Here, I talk to working athletes from all walks of life and experts from various sports to provide you with inspiration, training tips, time management and lifestyle advice. If this is something that interests you, please make sure you subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss any future episodes. Today's guest, Siddharth Kansal, is an applied sports scientist who works at his firm, The Consultant, with a variety of individuals and athletes from different sports. He helps them achieve their sporting and fitness goals through personalized training and nutrition along with constant analysis and assessments using sports science. He has also been a martial arts instructor for six years and has been in the field of fitness consulting for over 10 years. He is working and has worked with athletes based in different countries from several sports including cycling, running, triathlon, badminton, tennis, football, taekwondo, karate and rock climbing. He was a state level 400 meters and 800 meters runner before moving on to cycling where he raced at club, district and state levels. In this episode, we talk about his journey in cycling, the work he does at the consultant and the difference between a consultant and a coach, both roles which he plays in different ways. We also talked about topics like how to read research papers to separate the valuable nuggets from fluff, the importance of honesty in working with athletes, what is a good approach for rehab, the mental side of rehab, the importance of nutrition and the role mindset plays in sports performance. I really enjoyed geeking out with him on various topics related to sports performance. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. But first, this episode is brought to you by findbetter.ai. Findbetter is a social networking app for cycling and running enthusiasts to discover and shop together. Just like you post your rides or runs on Strava, you can post about your cycling or running related products on Findbetter like reviews, stuff you are looking for, accessories you have for sale, etc. so that you and others benefit from your experience. For a cycling enthusiast like me, it is a treasure trove to find all sorts of bikes and accessories both used and brand new. It is completely free to use and is available both on Google Play and the App Store. I am there on the app as Bikey Venky. You can follow me there to see what I am posting there. This episode is brought to you by The Bike Affair. If you are in search of a one-stop destination that caters to all your cycling needs, our today's sponsor, The Bike Affair, is the perfect place to check out. I have known the founders of The Bike Affair, Krish and Gokul, personally for nearly 15 years now. In fact, my first century ride was with Krish back in 2008. They are both exceptional human beings and entrepreneurs that believe in providing exceptional service to their customers. And it shows. 
With over 14 years of experience, the Bike Affair has established itself as a trusted source offering honest advice and exceptional service. They are offering a special treat for the listeners of this podcast. You can enjoy a 10% discount on your first order by using the code BIKEYWINKY on their website. So if you are in Hyderabad, visit their door in Kondapur or if you are anywhere else in India, shop online by using the link thebikeaffair.com i will leave the link in the show notes now enjoy the podcast all right sid welcome to the working athlete podcast it's a pleasure having you here thanks a lot for having me <laughs> <laughs> nice uh sid uh, the first time i saw you um uh, by the way i'm uh, referring to you as sid but for the listeners so this is siddharth kansal um I think the first time I saw you was um, in a road race uh, in uh, 2012 uh, when you and um, Sarvesh uh, <laughs> and I were riding together to finish the uh, race. What what was that? Harholi Jigni. Ah, oh, Harholi Jigni race. Incidentally, hmm. that race. was also the first race NG. of nj the he burst into the scene <laughs> uh, and how right yeah, yeah. so that was the first time i saw you and um, i mean all of us uh, have a common uh, 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 thread that all of us got dropped <laughs> from the <laughs> pain peloton when that accident and um, how old were you at that time 2012 it was 21 21 right 20 yeah depending on which month of the year yeah <laughs> 20 or 21 it was june i think okay, 21 <laughs> 21 years um, and uh, you and sarvesh and i were taking pulls to you know finish that uh, race mm-hmm. it was a uh, and i was really impressed with uh, the way you you know both were riding and mm-hmm. not sure if that was the first race uh, were you also there in the april um, race uh, that happened uh, that year the stonehill one stonehill one yeah so i i started the entire season so i started from the uh, itt and then the even the off road events that was fun <laughs> right so stonehill must have been the first uh, race that, that i saw you crazy race uh, <laughs> <laughs> insane okay. i was yeah. that i feel really bad about the race cuz uh, i think that was the first race shridhar savanor took part in mm. uh, those guys from hyderabad the uh, abibas right those guys and uh, yeah so i was going well i think that was the first race where i got shouted at for not riding properly because yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i remember <laughs> that uh, i was one of those guys who shouted at you <laughs> <laughs> cuz i saw someone attack and i just went for it instead of like going out safely from the peloton and then attacking <laughs> like no. yeah. yeah i mean that that is uh, you, you were young uh, mm-hmm. probably your first road race yeah, yeah. and um, but you were strong uh, so you you <laughs> had to do something you didn't know the you know the safe way to ride yet mm-hmm. at that point of time and uh, quite rightly got held at i guess but by the time i uh by the time you got to i think the first uh, mistakenly what i was mentioning as the first time i was, mm-hmm. i met you was the by the time you 
got better i i would think right yeah. uh, because i don't remember you being shouted at <laughs> at that time yeah yeah so, so uh, yeah my teammates from veloscope like brijesh mark durgesh balu all of these guys even nagraj all of them were like seniors so i would look up to them try to learn everything from them they they taught me quite well though like right. really nice yeah, yeah. and i used to read a few cycling books and also used to watch uh, <clears throat> the tour de france listen to Phil Leggett and Paul Schroen they used to like explain race strategy how you're supposed to ride in a bunch and like the unwritten rules of cycling like oh you know even if you get even if you fall down if you're like a re- leader or contender for the race it's common courtesy for others to slow down the the other leaders to slow down for you and this it was really interesting and that actually made me like cycling even more that it feel like felt like a very uh, fair sport <laughs> yeah it is right no uh, yeah so the, yeah that's when i first uh, uh, that was the season i guess that it was a, the april race was when i first saw you and then we got to a race together and um and ride together and finish together uh, that uh, june race uh, horholi jigni race and uh, i've been um, uh, following you around from around that time um although you have and i mean when i say following you uh, mostly on uh, socials and but the socials are not a uh, great place to follow you at all because you are not active <laughs> at all yeah yeah that's a common uh, complaint from a lot of people yeah please yeah. post something do something <laughs> you are doing so many things but you're not <laughs> posting anything yeah I mean, uh, you never post anything and uh, i mm-hmm. um although i know bits and pieces uh, about you i want to use this uh, opportunity to kind of uh, you know get to know uh, catch up with you <laughs> yeah <laughs> catch up with you uh, sitting uh, you know face to face and also share the uh, all the stuff that you do uh, with coaching and um, you know a lot more other things that uh, <laughs> you're good at uh, with others as well so that um, others can benefit from that so um <clears throat> let us let us start by talking about um, you know what is your relationship with sport growing up oh um it's a very close connection yeah so uh, it i think it just uh, started with me wanting to move a lot as a kid like my mom used to tell me to start when i i should just keep crawling around or then when i start to walk or whatever i used to run around and then that part i don't remember mm. but then i remember when i started going to school um i used to try and find people whom i could race with you know i, I didn't want to just run but like i wanted to compete with other strong runners right. you know so like whatever at that time it was like 30 meter sprints whatever <laughs> like i would say okay let's run from here to there let's see who's faster and you know i'd love love to play those running and catching games and then from there just it kind of i guess like com- competitive spirit transferred to every sport i encountered as like oh this is so, so much fun you know uh, so i would go to play cricket badminton and badminton was much later but uh, uh, yeah whichever uh, sport i could get my hands and legs on mm. <laughs> i would uh, go for it okay so y- you were uh, uh, 
quite active as a kid mm-hmm. but what is and running uh, uh, sounds like the main uh, sport you were doing is that accurate yeah it wasn't like uh, sport sport yeah. you, you were just exactly. running around yeah so but as a sport when did uh, this kind of take off um so running was uh, <clears throat> we had those athletic events in school hmm. so those competitions used to happen so i didn't realize that i was good in comparison to the other my peers hmm. so <clears throat> yeah i used to initially focus on i mean there was no focus whatever was available and whatever was known so we were told okay there's a 100 meter sprint there's 200 meters and then there's long jump and whatever so i was good at the sprint sprinting events so i just go for those and uh, try and win hmm. and uh, yeah so that's where all of that began and then uh, later on when i was going for i, I like cricket a lot and uh, i wanted to be like sachin of obviously course. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah and so from cricket coaching i realized so our coach used to make us run rounds around the ground like it was a large ground in nl and uh, so there i realized that i was uh, had more stamina than everyone else everyone used to get tired and i used to keep running so then from there it kind of that i used to just randomly go and run one day i reached very early uh, for coaching cuz i had to drop off my grandfather at the airport so i was dropped off at the ground and then i went decided to run like 31 laps around until everyone arrived and <laughs> oh, okay. so then that became a big thing then that went to school and then the uh, school coach is like oh, okay you can do long distance i'll send you to 800 meter racing so then i started practicing for that and yeah so then i became a state level 800 meter runner and also 400 so 400 and 800 you uh, ran for uh, karnataka uh, no i wasn't uh, at that point the school wasn't very supportive so mm-hmm. they were like okay just go for these events and then that's it yeah you know be happy you got got your medal and that's it you know okay. going further mm-hmm. so you know school was mainly focused on studies just right. like uh, i guess yeah, catering to the parents yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so <clears throat> yeah so from there i uh, started I, i i used to run long distance just for fun mm-hmm. and uh, um 800 meters was like a nice combination of both speed and endurance and uh, yeah so i wanted to break wilson Kip- kipkater's record of 1 minute 41.11 seconds right yeah <laughs> and then yeah so that was uh, and i tell as okay i know what my max speed is i know what i can do in 100 meters so it is possible for me to break the 800 meter record so i wanted to go for that and then uh, yeah i started training for that and then you know in the middle though i had no idea what i was doing i just go to kantiva there was a coach who tell me what to do and then uh, Anyway, so <clears throat> eventually I was doing these long distance runs just for fun and I took part in this running event uh, a full marathon randomly. Mhm. Full, full marathon. Yeah, so yeah. before that I took part I think 2 years before that I took part in a half marathon mm-hmm. and I was able to complete it. Right. And I said, oh, "Okay, fine. So without training if I can do a half marathon, let me try full." So mm-hmm. I tried full and then like at, so they didn't measure the distance correctly, mm-hmm. the actual distance which ended up uh, happening was i think 44 45 kilometers oh, wow. <laughs> okay so uh, i think and they were they were badly organized in the sense that they stopped food and water and stuff after like two and a half hours of the race okay so and i had no idea about 
nutrition, food, none of that stuff. Yeah. So I was just like running, kept running, burnt myself out. And then I'm like, okay, give me food. There's no food. And then my muscles are burning. Everyone was like bonking completely. And right. it was the most pain I ever felt. My <laughs> move. And uh, yeah, so I had to quit quit at 39.7 hmm. kilometers. It felt so bad. <laughs> I had to complete one more five kilometer lap. Right. After that. Like, I can't do one more lap. <laughs> so, so while, d- during that race, I got injured. I got an IT band injury because right. of the lack of training and the lack of food available. Hmm. And uh, so they went to like multiple um, doctors, uh, orthopedicians and stuff. They all said, okay, just rest. And then I rested for a few months. I came back again. I mean, it never went. Mm. So every time I would start running within 500 meters, start hurting. Mm. And then the same thing. Doctors say, go rest. Same thing again, all over, over and over again. Went on for like a couple of years and they couldn't figure it out. And obviously rest was prescribed, but not rehab, not rehab. Yeah. They didn't know what rehab was, yeah. apparently. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I realized, okay, I love cycling. I've, I had, by then I had participated in like these, a few BBCH ITTs mm-hmm. and one off-road race. So I, had, I attended the ITTs with my mountain bike. Yeah. And so that was, that was fun. And I yeah, saw. Which year was this? I think first was in 2009. Okay. Uh, when I first uh, raced mm. and I saw Naveen Raj doing well and like uh, all of the other guys with like really cool road bikes, road bikes was like. In the, so at in the that time you were like 18, 19. Yeah. 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 So okay. yeah, it was fun uh, racing those events. And then I said, oh, if only I had a road bike, maybe I'm able to like average 30 kilometers an hour, maybe with a road bike. At that time, I think the time trials, people are averaging 35, 35 to 37. Right. That was yeah, the winning yeah. time. So yeah. I thought, okay, if I have a road bike, I can win. You yeah. know, at least that was the the thing, uh, thinking back then. So then, yeah. So when I decided that, okay, running's not happening, this injury is not healing, I said, yeah, let me take part in uh, just by a road bike. Yeah. And by then I had saved some money because I started uh, uh, working as a martial art instructor right out of school. Mm. And uh, okay, so mar- martial arts uh, instructor. So how did that uh, happen? Well, uh, you know, run, we, we talked about running uh, <laughs> as a thread. Yeah. Let, let us pick on the martial arts aspect of aspect of it as well, you know, because that's uh, also something that is close to your heart, I would think, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, it started with, um, I think when I was four years old, uh, I used to watch my sister go for karate classes. And then when it was deemed right for me to go for the classes, I don't know what... That, that this thing was maybe it was two or three <laughs> yeah it's two yeah i mean it made sense yeah uh, so then i uh, joined my sister for classes um so i went for karate and then uh, after a year or so i realized that so i didn't one of the exams i didn't prepare for mm. and uh, i went to the to the teacher and told him that see i didn't practice i might not know everything so I said, okay, this time I'll give you a belt. Next time you practice and come. So then I thought, oh, this is not that serious. So I shouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> so then I quit. Like, I don't want to go for this. Uh, uh, I mean, I expected to fail and I was like, okay with that. I don't know why. But uh, yeah, but I didn't want to pass just just like that. I wanted to put an effort to pass. Right. Um, yeah, so I quit. 
and then I think one or two years later, there were these Taekwondo classes beginning in our school. So my mom told me that, you know, you should join. I said, no, I mean, all these martial arts classes are useless. Mm. You know, they say that they just give you a belt just like that. I'm not learning anything. So, but then she said, oh, she, you know, uh, convinced me by telling me that my best friend is going for the classes. So you should also go. Right. And my best friend's mom told him that I'm going for the classes. So he should also go. So we ended up going. Right. And then, uh, yeah, this instructor was amazing. Uh, Devu Prata Tata, he's uh, an amazing instructor. So he uh, taught me throughout school. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so from there, my love for martial arts uh, began. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I continued for throughout school, schooling. A lot of people dropped out because, you know, you have to study for boards and IIT. Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, anyway, I continued. I enjoyed it too much. Uh, so um, and you right out of school you uh, be, uh, became started. an assistant instructor to, okay so i would go to multiple schools around bangalore and mm. teach right. while i was uh, also studying on the side right so teaching coaching kind of started early uh, yeah. in your life uh, you know not not just you know, the love for love for sports is there the you know uh, inclination for performance was there mm-hmm. and the you know inclination to teach and the ability to teach was all, you know also started quite uh, early and young yeah oh excellent man yeah. um so after, from there you now got into cycling yeah um, i started racing you started racing with um, mtb and then decided okay I, you know maybe if on a road bike um, you know i would probably uh, get close to a win yeah. and stuff and got a road bike mm-hmm. and um, how how did the how did it progress uh, from there i i kind of uh, know some uh, some part of it mm-hmm. because um, from the uh, race we talked about um, that april uh, yeah. uh, stone hill race uh, in 2012 um, is where i saw you and then you know that's where you were a bit of a squirrel in the peloton <laughs> and uh, and then you were quite strong uh, from the from the time from first time i was seeing you and you you had that sense of uh, you know uh, observing the peloton what's going on around you um, apart from you know suddenly moving <laughs> you you know who someone is going i have to go yeah. that competitive instinct was there and um, and you were quite strong but also the skill of uh, holding your line and everything where as you said uh, you learned from your teammates and yeah. uh, you know watching the documentaries and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, so how did that uh, uh, you know your cycling the passion for cycling and uh, you know the skill progress from there oh <clears throat> so um from there uh let me say so mark uh, you know mark anderson mark yeah. yeah yeah so he actually held these um, workshops for us he called us to mysore and then we all uh, rode with him he t- taught us a bit about cyclocross and how you kind of dismount get back on uh, how do you sprint how do you deal in like uh, how do you corner how do you do, uh, how do you manage in a crit like uh, in criteriums how do you manage your position how do you kind of 
hold your position despite everyone pushing you out and all of that mm. so there was a lot of learning from there and also descending yeah climbing descending cadence all of that basically mark kind of taught us everything right. so for those uh, listening and who don't know mark uh, mark anderson uh, was a us citizen uh, living in mysore uh, oci oci yeah. okay because his wife is indian right mm-hmm. okay so he was um, living in mysore for uh, some time and uh, around that time and uh, he used to come participate in uh, uh, the bbc races one or two and then he was a part of uh, uh, veloscope team and he was mentoring uh you know a lot of uh, people in veloscope mm-hmm. uh, at that you know at that time um, uh, was it um, yeah before before uh, that uh, you know around 2011 and all yeah. i was part of uh, veloscope as well <laughs> so uh i think uh, uh yeah around 2000 uh, the early part of 2011 i was part of uh, veloscope as mm-hmm. well and uh, srini was part of it yeah. uh, balu and all these guys uh, of course brijesh the lead of the yeah. <laughs> team and you know and mark anderson uh, was an amazing guy mm-hmm. he 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 was uh, he is a natural uh, leader and a mentor yeah. uh, so he he loved you know teaching people uh, and very lovingly and mm-hmm. he, he had the skill he had the ability he has the patience to kind of teach um, others so and also a great sense of humor <laughs> oh yeah 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 amazing sense of humor so um and i think later uh, i mean uh, yeah in during my uh, f- uh, first tf in 2011 uh, it was uh, great to watch him and uh, rajesh nair kind of fight it out for the top spot uh, so i i had the pleasure of riding with him during the tour uh, it was amazing guy amazing is that guy. the tour when you became lord venki <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that was the tour when i uh, did the tour uh, on my fixed gear bike and krishan lord venki but yeah yeah that was the thing um yeah so you learned a lot i mean mark anderson um, uh, you know he taught a lot of uh, you know, the techniques and stuff like that mm-hmm. so and you from then on like you uh, have taken part in um, uh, district state and uh, nationals right so no, i did i didn't make it to nationals you, yeah. you didn't make it to nationals so how how um, how how did uh, it go i think there you were also a part of uh, trek firefox uh, yeah. team the following year yeah. the following year mm-hmm. uh, was it like 2013 yeah stuff? okay mm-hmm. so how how was that whole uh, experience uh, of being very active in the sport uh, of cycling during that time oh um it was great it was i loved traveling and then uh, i think i reached a point where if i uh, sometimes when we had to go travel meet our relatives outside the state i would feel really odd not carrying my bicycle along with me because right. i was traveling every month to different states sometimes was pune sometimes uh, uh north karnataka or chikmagalur or whatever just for races and uh, yeah it was a lot a lot of fun hey, also chennai mm. and uh, yeah it was a lot of fun 
initially it was a little cumbersome but then i got the hang of it and then it became like uh, something i wanted to do. even though the if the races even though the races were uh, kind of hard especially the chikmagalur race uh, i traveled with the specialized team hmm. specialized kinkini and uh, wheel sports mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah so we traveled together we lived in a uh, in a school spent the night at the school right woke up and just went for the race and then they're like hundreds of people just crashing into you and you know there I, there i felt like oh now mark's training is helping like i managed to hold my position even though i'm like a smaller rider because right. uh, and then like managed to get get out of that horde and then once we got ahead then it was fine because then there are few people ahead yeah 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 but uh, yeah so those those experiences gave me a lot of learning like how, uh, how do you manage when uh, there are a lot of inexperienced cyclists around and uh, like you mentioned i think uh, just noticing everyone in the peloton mm. is very helpful to see who your competition is and also how everyone's riding and sometimes like even strong people are they they have a bad day so if you notice that they're not doing well then you know yeah that gives you a boost exactly. and kind of you know yeah. you can plan accordingly exactly you change your strategy based on that right so those things it was it was like a very not just physical but a lot a very mental sport and i enjoyed that i liked strategizing and uh, making decisions on the fly it was a lot of fun hmm. so yeah. yeah so and uh, not making to the nationals uh, i think is a product of uh, you being uh, you know uh, set, uh, giving trials from karnataka which is the most i mean arguably the strongest uh, yeah, probably. Know, probably right uh, there the you you are basically uh, competing against uh, people like uh, what loki and others right correct so it was nj it was nj mm. loki navin raj top 3 <laughs> right. right then the fourth place was like hard fought so i was trying to get the fourth yeah. and it was hard because i didn't i just had a regular road bike mm. and it was oversized i had no idea about buying the right size for me yeah and the, the yeah. time the time trial is what uh, used to determine the correct. selection and i was bad at time trial <laughs> <laughs> so all of those things were like Right. Against me. Right. Like once uh, in 2012, the fourth place was decided by a very in a very uh, they it wasn't decided by the time trial. It was actually decided by the criterion, which is quite odd. But yeah, you know, right. they, the yeah, yeah. the organizers decide on the fly. Okay, who they want to choose and stuff. So yeah, the process not being um, transparent was a big issue back then. They didn't. uh even release the timing results of all of the people so uh you wouldn't even know it what place you finished mm-hmm. in the time trial you would just expect that yeah obviously these people did better than me i knew that the most pe- a lot of people were better than i was but at least i would know where i stood in that yeah i mean you like, would you, know? you would know how far exactly. you you know how far behind or you were and so that you can put in that uh, effort to bridge yeah. that gap right yeah, yeah. but um, yeah i mean the, uh, ba- back in the day i would think uh, the lot of processes were like uh, very uh, haphazard and uh, mm-hmm. not, not really clear yeah. but like you said uh, they would announce the uh, the people who got selected but not really why or how and what what, what criteria and you know, all that uh, but um, so you got uh, you were doing well um, 
but then uh, what took you away from uh, cycling was it the sport uh, was it your uh, studies to uh, de- uh, you know deciding to go to higher studies or what uh, got you away from cycling uh, for that period after I, that period so it was uh, i think i stopped cycling towards the end of 2013 actually 2014 uh, feb was the last serious race i took part in by then i was kind of unfit anyway um but yeah what took me away was uh i think i didn't have a good experience at track firefox and uh i think the design of the team that everyone's not together we couldn't really form form a bond and you know have a have the right camaraderie within the team members mm-hmm. and uh yeah that kind of was a big contrast with Veloscope where, or not just Veloscope, but like the Bangalore cycling community where everyone was friendly, everyone was like happy. Uh, they're competitive, but they're also happy to see each other grow and race nicely. So was a, at that time, uh, found the community very welcoming and encouraging. Yeah. And when you moved to the Trek Firefox team and they were very strong cyclists, they were great. They were some of the best cyclists in India. Uh, and but the problem was that we couldn't gel together because mentalities were different um yeah and aims in life were different so uh yeah i guess that it kind of didn't work even though we had multiple uh team gatherings sometimes in chennai sometimes in hyderabad it just didn't work and uh, i think that got me down and so i lost uh, interest in the sport for a while and then i decided that you know let me Re- yeah and then rekindle my interest by uh i thought that i think nj mentioned that even mark was mentioning that uh it's better if if you race abroad to actually get a feel for things and so i thought okay how do i get abroad is maybe uh go for a course outside mm. like a, a academic course and uh yeah so i did i was searching for what i would be interested in and uh yeah i went abroad to study that nice just to kind of uh you know uh expand on uh that thread uh of team and team dynamics right mm-hmm. um you know if you are part of a team that can give you the uh the motivation the you know the why to work towards something mm-hmm. right that becomes uh, a lot of people uh, who are uh, who are riding solo and all that once you see them part of a team mm-hmm. their mentality their motivation their uh, you know training discipline and all that tends to uh, be on the uptick yeah. right uh, because they now have a purpose you know like for for their training for their newfound motivation probably they have a new role in the team where Mm -hmm. their uh their role is at you know being uh, domestic or being a sprinter or whatever Mm -hmm. right they their goals are defined uh, in a way that they that gives them motivation and all that that sort of uh, thing is very important f- uh, for uh, people uh, cyclists because cycling is predominantly a team sport yeah. right so uh, that was clearly there uh, when you were in uh, veloscope yeah. and uh, uh, that happened to me that was my experience uh, as a part of spectrum mm-hmm. uh, and that 
being part of spectrum uh, at that time w- was a kind of sea change for me because it gave me a lot of motivation i had i had a purpose and all that mm-hmm. so uh, because you were always riding together you were in it, uh, you know you were training together you know each other well uh, so you had a defined role and everything but uh you know it could work you know probably uh, it could also work in uh, situations like that teams where their people are from various places yeah. uh like in pro teams right mm-hmm. yeah. most of the pro uh, teams are like people outside okay. they have they come together for camps and mm-hmm. stuff like that um but uh, i guess that did not uh, Petro uh, that well with uh, the track fire for yeah. uh, at least for you right mm-hmm. in yeah. your experience uh, but uh, you know so you while team kind of can become a big motivator and can be a positive influence if it doesn't go well and if you're not uh, gelling uh, there it could be a, a you know demotivator yeah. as well exactly yeah yeah and I, it was uh, I didn't know that that could happen actually so mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for that at all mm-hmm. um so yeah that I think that the surprise kind of got me as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. okay yeah. okay so now you you, know, you decided okay um, you wanted to uh, pursue higher uh, studies probably in sport uh, so what uh, where did you end up in how did that proceed from there oh. so um I initially started looking at uh, like sports ma- sports management because that was the only thing sport related i thought they existed so i was looking at that and uh, you know then i went for these um education fairs which they have you know you go and they'll t- tell you which colleges from which countries and what kind of uh, courses available and there i found sports science as and uh, i was thinking okay maybe i can do maybe sports management sports science and then when i learned more about sports science i said okay teach management management is boring cuz <laughs> uh yeah i just uh, it basically ignited that intellectual passion in me that oh i get to learn so much about how the body works and during exercise and like all aspects of it which is uh, yeah i still continue to have that passion for it yeah. uh it's it's so exciting you learn something new when something a new research paper comes out which is uh which is kind of changes the paradigm a little bit it's really exciting and i want to go and tell people about it because it's so much fun so yeah that's what i experienced when i started learning about it and then uh, yeah so i just i decided that maybe to uh kind of get selected by the colleges i might have to do a little bit of a uh, uh, little more self study uh, because at that point so this was 2014 2015 right uh like throughout 2014 and uh, the beginning of 2015 um yeah so before that in 2013 i started uh working as a fitness consultant uh with a company and their employees and uh, yeah so so from there it, it basically i was uh is quite a funny so i started with uh, i was doing commerce and I started working as a um, accountant and just as an internship internship to get mm. get a feel for things and then I realized that it 
was really boring because I, I started doing work and then was, I like I liked accounting but um, you know the head accountant wouldn't listen to me because I'd see the some issues in their balance sheets and whatever and tell them they say oh, no it's fine you just do this basic work and you should be happy and I used to do that work and then I'd get bored in the office just sitting around doing nothing so then uh, I had a chat with uh, my father and his friend and then we discussed like okay what kind of uh, I had ideas of what I wanted to do I wanted to like uh, well, I was used to I used to look at people in the office and see like their lives just look so miserable, like no one's <laughs> happy. So and and that at that time I think I um, was hearing about like Google doing great things to improve. Uh, uh, yeah, employee health and exactly yeah. Yeah, mentality mm-hmm. and all of that. So I thought okay maybe I can do something like that for uh, offices and stuff. So then I started discussing that and then they said no, but you have like. Uh, a lot of people look up to you for uh, exercise and health and all of that. So uh, why don't you try fitness consulting? Because you. Uh, so one good thing from Trek Firefox was that we were coached by these sports scientists from the UK, and that's where I learned a lot about sports science. Uh, like not a lot, but it was like a starter course. Right. On it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was good. And uh, so using that. Uh, yeah, they did convince me that I should just start this fitness consulting thing. And then I started uh, working with employees. And then I once I realized, okay, there's these, when you get the full he- uh, full body checkup, you get this blood test reports and when things are off. So I started doing a lot of study on that. Okay, what kind of foods are required to fix which kind of deficiencies? And uh, apart from, you know, just giving exercises and helping fix uh, weaknesses, muscle imbalances, stuff like that. Um, with my rudimentary knowledge, uh, right. I, I thought I was doing a good job. And then <laughs> after studying sports science, I realized, okay, I did a decent job, but there were so many flaws because of, uh, yeah, the things you don't know about, the things you don't know, you don't know. Uh, what, cause that's you, that, for those things you feel like you're very confident about, but that's, <laughs> that's where you lack. Right. And then once now, after studying sports science and stuff, uh, sorry, I'm skipping back and forth. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that studying uh, after studying sports science and learning about how many things I don't know, I feel so insecure. Like, oh, I don't know this. I don't know this. And at that time, I didn't. I didn't know so much. <laughs> but you so, were con- more confident. More confident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Luckily, I didn't cause any damage, so that was good. I feel good about that. I helped uh, quite a few people, so that was good. Uh, mm. Luckily, that's mm. by luck. It's right. not by <laughs> design. Uh, design. So, I, I mean, I was studying and trying to improve myself, but, you know, there's so many things that you don't uh, really realize. Yeah, I mean, you we we start somewhere, but, you know, the, uh, with the intent of doing the right, right thing. Correct. And we... Uh, you know, we improve our period of time. Yeah. You know, as we keep learning new stuff. Mm-hmm. It, so it is also um, the body of knowledge even in sports science right now mm-hmm. uh, is constantly evolving. Correct. Right? Yep. It's not like, uh, you know, this is it. This is the final thing. And exactly. uh, you, you know, there is nothing else to learn yeah. now. Right. There yeah. is. It is never like that. So, yeah, yeah it is a constant learning process. Mm. So uh, you... Yeah. yeah. So, oh, so going back to where uh, the studying aspect, right? Yeah. So um, I use that as part of my uh, essay that I've been working with this thing. And apart from that, I was also uh, 
looked at this uh, sports science course, like a diploma, six month diploma thing. Uh, so I started studying for that right. and uh, did that. So I helped like beef up my CV. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so then I um, got selected for like three colleges in the UK. So I I found, I realized that, so there were, uh, I, th- I think Europe and Australia were the best places for sports science mm-hmm. research. Surprisingly, US wasn't that good at it. Um, and um, I realized, yeah, so Germany and France, not, not France so much, Spain and Italy, you had to learn the local language. So that was difficult. So I guess the final option was either Australia or UK. And I didn't like Australia with all the racism <laughs> reports around that time. So yeah. I said, okay, let's go to UK. Yeah. And yeah, it was great. Uh, so there I got selected for three colleges and I decided on the... Uh, luckily, I got selected by my my top college of choice. Um, how I decided on that college was basically the researchers there, mm-hmm. pe- pe- people working there. Uh, one of the lead scientists there was uh, Dr. Louis Passfield, mm-hmm. who's uh, done a lot for sports science in the world. And he's been, he's worked with the Olympic, UK Olympic teams from in the 1992 Olympics, 96 and 2008. And the 2008 Olympics, you saw how great uh, uh, the UK did. Right. And uh, yeah, they broke so many world records, especially the track team, including Garan Thomas and all these people. And he coached them. Right. So it was like, oh, I really want to work with, yeah. <laughs> uh, work under, or st- study under the Louis Passfield. And uh, and then there were other other researchers like uh, David Hopker, oh, sorry, uh, Dr. James Hopker, Dr. Glenn Davison, uh, Dr. Samuel Mercora, uh, all of them are doing amazing things in uh, sports science research. And so people like them, I mean, there were also others like Mark Burnley, Dr. Mark Burnley and others. But um, yeah, so that being decided that, that, the, that you decided, wanted to go to exactly, Kent. And they were doing a, uh, they had an endurance research group. So they were focusing a lot on uh, cycling, uh, primary cycling, but also running long, long distance. So and that's what I'm into. So right. it was like, yeah, a no brainer for me. Mm. Uh, so I, uh, I went there and it was just uh, amazing. Mm. So uh, what, what is the experience there? What, what did you learn? Uh, you know, what were your expectations going in and uh, uh, were they met or they uh, exceeded and how, what was the whole experience like? Um, definitely exceeded. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's when I realized that I finally found something which I uh, can study all my life mm. like and keep learning and improving. Um, yeah, so I went there and uh, you also, yeah, apart from learning the course materials and stuff like that about uh, training, uh, performance testing, nutrition, psychology, uh, injury rehab, all of those things. Uh, apart from that, it was also... Like uh, you could take part in research studies, which other students are doing, uh, master students, PhD students. So when you take part in their, their research, you learn more about uh, lab testing and research and how everything works and also how your how the athlete's body feels during performance. So I, I took part in so many of these uh, VO2 max tests and uh, gross efficiency tests and uh, blood lactate, all, all of those. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so I learned a lot from that, and especially when you take when you're uh, doing these 
taking part in these studies for the PhD students, you get different perspectives and different uh, ways of approaching different problems. Uh, yeah, so that really helped expand my uh, uh, creativity and knowledge. So that was that was really good. And mm-hmm. so I just like spending uh, all my time in the lab, if how much ever possible. Right. right. And yeah. So, so um, what what were the kind of uh, main topics of a sports uh, that you that one would learn from a sports science degree? Um, I think the most uh, basic would be. Um, yeah, so okay, sports science degrees are uh, sports science is quite varied. It mm-hmm. includes um, perf- uh, training, performance assessment, uh, sports nutrition. uh sports psychology biomechanics kinesthetic kinesthetics uh sports medicine is also a part of it and uh, so there are a lot of aspects so what i study is not all of them so i didn't study biomechanics i didn't study sports medicine because i need a um, medical degree for that for that okay um yeah so uh i did study uh, i i wanted to do um biomechanics but i'll get to that at some point in my life <laughs> <laughs> right yeah uh so what i studied was um so um the performance testing and uh training of athletes uh ranging from you know amateur all the way to elite uh, and world class athletes and uh, how uh physiology changes for each type level of athlete and it's not just uh based uh it's not just for cyclists or runners or whatever you can once you learn about uh, how the body works you can apply it to different sports and uh, there's a lot of research in different sports and you can read research papers on that mm. to understand how you apply those base concepts to the different sports mm-hmm. and uh, that's what makes it quite interesting uh, so right now if uh, a sports scientist a really good sports scientist in endurance research is approached for say um maybe figure skating you know mm-hmm. how to improve performance for a physic figure skater doing those multiple revolutions and uh, all of those things uh it's going to be difficult for the person it's not like they know everything but right. you know if the person is open minded and he does the uh, research for that sport then he'll be good at that as well because he has that base knowledge of how the human body works and all of that right. so yeah that's uh, that's what is makes it quite interesting and mm-hmm. that's what i look to do as well i i don't like sticking just to cyclists and runners but i like going working with all the other athletes from different sports right right so um, but since uh, we i mean i am more interested in cycling yeah. <laughs> let us let us uh, talk sure, about sure. Uh, you know cycling and running uh, so what what kind of um, uh, tests do you do uh, or you know and based on that how, what do you prescribe for you know yeah, improvement of performance okay. um I, i think everyone's heard of the vo2 max test right so you uh, vo2 max is basically the maximum amount of oxygen a person can consume at a particular point of time okay uh, that peak lasts for just a few seconds you you can't so it's basically breathing as hard as you can and first of all breathing as hard as you can and getting all of the air in but also the ability of the body to utilize that oxygen because when you're breathing heavily you're also breathing out and a lot of what you breathe out is oxygen as well right so yeah. 
the amount of oxygen which you retain which you use for the muscles now that's that's what you want to focus on uh so that's uh, basically uh, what the vo2 yeah, max will give us exactly right? yeah so uh, but vo2 max is a uh, is a good metric but it's not the best metric for training because uh, it'll tell you what your peak is what what the best amount of oxygen you can consume but you're not there since uh, you hold that just for a few seconds at a time um you actually want to wo- wo- focus on your submaximal intensity so at your lower levels of uh oxygen uptake uh oxygen consumption right right um so uh which is why these submaximal tests submaximal is basically uh tests which are done not at the highest intensity but slightly lower because those are the intensities you kind of uh, hold for your Long race period exactly time. yeah uh, except yeah basically Mm-hmm. any distances above like more than 15 minutes you kind of uh, right you need the submaximal mm-hmm. test so um yeah so the a good test for that those uh, so i'll tell you what the uh, positive about vo2 max is that if you have a vo2 max of say if you're looking to be any uh, world class athlete and you've been training and then you'd get a vo2 max if you've been training regularly and then you get a vo2 max test done and if it's if you're a male and if your vo2 max is around 70 or above then it shows that you have the genetic capability of being a world class athlete right okay uh if it's say you train as hard as you can you've been training for years together and still your vo2 max is and training is good it's not just like you're training yeah in a bad methodology right. you're training with a good methodology and your vo2 max is low uh, low meaning um 50 hmm. around 50 maybe hmm. um for a 20 year old person you know right so or or maybe even a 30 year old person so that's it that's your basically your ceiling that no matter how how well you train you can't go above that that means you know you know you can't make it to the elite level because uh people who are at the elite level they are holding a vo2 of 50 during their uh, lower intensities mm. and if you're uh, kind of uh, holding a 50 at your maximal intensity you can't really uh, perform that high right at that higher level mm. even though how much of you try right mm. so that's where it helps where you know what your ceiling is one what your capability is and for women it's uh so uh for men it's around 70 and above mm. and for women it's around 55 and above right uh yeah okay so how how do you test it is it like uh, put you on put the one on a trainer with uh, yeah how how do you, you is it like the prick test or no it's not it's not a blood uh, test it's mm. mainly you're measuring the uh, breathing in and out of of your air okay and it's a it's a gradual increase in intensity mm. and then until a point where you can't ride anymore so you're like like you said on a trainer mm. but you're uh, yeah gradually increasing in intensity over a period of 8 to 12 minutes and uh, you max out and that helps to increase your breathing rate if you uh, do a very quick ramp mm-hmm. then you'll be breathing very hard but you won't be consuming as much oxygen you won't be retaining as much oxygen right. so the test won't be valid so you need to have a gradual ramp um uh, and yeah you you wear a mask and the mask will be connected to um either this thing called douglas bags where they collect your air uh all the air which you've breathed out right 
or it's also uh, what's more commonly used is the uh, this equipment which is connected to an analyzer breathalyzer it's called mm-hmm. and uh, that measures the amount of oxygen you're uh, in amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen you're expelling and taking in and mm. uh, so that will help uh, and from that you you do some analysis and then you get your uh, vo2 max value right, right. how how uh, critical is it to kind of uh, know that uh, are is it important for uh, any uh, serious cyclist to uh, do that or are there alternatives that kind of give you uh, an idea um because that that the, those facilities are not available in, uh, anywhere and everywhere right so, exactly it's though yeah those things are very expensive uh it's expensive mainly because of the calibration equipment because those have to be very accurate for it to be a valid test because anyone can just do the test but then if the accuracy of the data isn't there then this is completely pointless so right uh yeah so there are other tests you can do which is like i was saying the submaximal tests which help you understand what your intensities are at lower levels so, how do you do that uh so um you so the ftp test is a very good test mm. for that mm. uh, everyone knows the F- ftp test tw- you warm up and then you do a maximum effort of 20 minutes and then you do like uh, you multiply by that by 0.95, 0.95 and then you get this uh, approximate value of how much power or speed speed for runners mm. you can hold for uh, an hour approximately right um then you have these other t- other tests like critical power which i like to use because it's a little more accurate in the sense that uh each person's uh, so for you say for me uh i could do a 0.95 and it might work mm. for you if you do a point i'm just assuming yeah, yeah. so if you do a 0.95 for the 20 minute it might be lower than your capability right. for you you might have to do 0.975 mm-hmm. for it to be more accurate for a one hour thing so it varies between individuals the critical power is the same every time you do the test for each person so how do you test for a, cri- a critical power there there's a few ways to do it um the two most uh, common ones i guess are there's a you do a uh 3 minute maximal effort test mm-hmm. and it's you start at your hardest intensity from the beginning from second zero right know? and then you go and then you just try and maintain as hard as you can that's like a very painful test it's one of the hardest tests you can mm-hmm. do those 3 minutes last for like 5 hours you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh, an in- interstellar uh, you know the uh, uh, one sec one hour here is like 7 hour 7 uh, years there yeah. something like that <laughs> yeah 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 so and then there's another way we can uh, tell a person to performance pe- perform maximal intensity efforts over three or more uh, tests so you can do three uh, maybe like 3 minute 5 minute 10 minutes or three oh you can to make it more accurate you can do four or five but then more than that is just uh pointers mm-hmm. but yeah you don't go four or five of oh, three four, minute effort no or four or five different uh duration, duration. maximum okay uh-huh. so um three minutes uh five say minutes. five minutes eight minutes uh 12 minutes 15 minutes you don't go close to 20 because it's harder to pace mm. like even uh, everyone who's done a ftp test you know that to get like your highest possible 20 minutes is very difficult yeah. unless you're a great time trialist it's really hard to get that even curve to get that maximal power 
so that's why you do these shorter efforts which you can pace slightly better mm. and uh, from that you there's a calculation where you can calculate your critical power and you also get a one more metric called uh, w prime mm -hmm. so that's uh, that's uh, an anaerobic capacity you could say right. sports scientists would hate me mm. hate <laughs> to hear me say this but yeah <laughs> for the lay person it's basically the amount you can uh, amount of effort you can maintain above your critical power okay and critical power is a theoretical value it's a theoretical in the sense that uh, you are you should be able to hold critical power indefinitely <laughs> oh, okay okay but in reality you can hold it for like 30 to 60 minutes mm -hmm. so it's similar to it's very close to your ftp value right so uh, i mean we kind of didn't conclude uh, say C, uh, we are trying to do the cp yeah say we are doing a uh, 3 minute maximal test hmm. how do you uh, wh what uh, what does that value give uh, how, what is the relation between that 3 uh, minute maximal effort and cp how do you calculate that so it's not just a 3 minute is the All, all the efforts right and then you uh, draw a graph and you calculate based on the slope it gets and all of that, that right. and the area under the curve mm. and based on that you would calculate what your critical power is basically the software will throw the number out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you if you can like sit and do all of those calculations yeah, but you can like but yeah there are softwares uh, that uh, give those numbers out. what is that yeah. open source software you could also so, use excel it's fine yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> you don't need anything very uh, fancy but right. yeah. Um, yeah so i mean there are uh, like open source like golden cheetah is a great golden cheetah that that's the one yeah. that i used to use all the time it's it's great it's, it's wonderful yeah. software yeah. and you can make minute changes edits to like sometimes you have these uh, random values of your you you have athletes right so you have like random spikes oh he's done 10000 watts for example <laughs> yeah yeah happening <laughs> it will just throw it out yeah, yeah. so you can just uh, edit that out and yeah. it's quite good <laughs> yeah right so let's talk about uh, w prime what, yeah. what what does that give and what what is the significance of that so w prime is uh, uh, so say you get a w prime value of 10000 so theoretically you can hold 10000 watts above uh, your critical power for 1 second okay wow. so okay. say your critical power is 250 you can hold 10000 and 250 watts for 1 second but obviously that's impossible mm. so it's more accurate for durations longer than 3 minutes 3 minutes to uh, 30 minutes is around where its accuracy lies so you can actually plan your uh, race efforts based on that so if you're trying to do breakaways you know that okay uh, if my w prime is this and you calculate so uh, let's use a calculator yeah so say your critical power is 250 w prime is 10000 uh, so what's it called and you want to do a uh, 10 minute breakaway maximal 10 minute breakaway so 10 would be 600 seconds right mm. so that would be that would give you that means you can hold 16.6 watts 16.7 watts above your critical power for 10 minutes okay so, so that is so, uh, 266 correct for 66 yeah. 67 mm. you'll be able to hold that until you get exhausted mm. so then you have to like slow go 
easier to be able to continue and right so you you calculate uh, 10 minutes uh, 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 you know the distance it will take for you to get to the finish line 10 minutes yeah yeah that correct correct yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so depending on like the kind of breakaway you want you can do 5 minutes and then double of that or right yeah any anything so right. you can use it in so many varied situations so it will also help for race planning like you said right Yeah. So W prime is typically what uh, I mean I've seen uh, 15000 and all that what is there a typical value for uh, that we see for most athletes or how how does that work So generally for um, sprinter sprint athletes W prime is higher okay. for people who do time trials and like uh, who are you know GC contenders uh, who have great endurance they will have a lower w prime and yeah that can vary uh, a lot um i guess uh, actually i don't want to throw out random numbers so right uh, <laughs> yeah yeah but it's you know uh, 10000 is kind of like an average value right. you'd get mm-hmm. from person to person awesome awesome so um the, the we talked about uh, testing for sports performance as mm-hmm. in these uh, vo2 uh, sub maximal test and uh, you know some w prime and so right. yeah uh, yeah so there's another test you can do which is really good um uh, it's called the lactate profile test and uh, so that requires a, a blood sample collection right Uh, so that uh, it doesn't require a lot of equipment to be most accurate you need a lot of equipment but it you get you have these lactate uh, calculators like how you have this accucheck to check your blood glucose and stuff right uh, yeah. like that you have those these devices they need to be a little bit cali- calibrated you need to see which one's the most accurate and then so um, yeah so then based on that uh, i mean the most accurate would be the ones where you collect the blood you put it put it in a test tube put it in a centrifuge and that will actually calculate the amount of blood lactate mm. but you know if you want a more portable device then you get one of these and um, so that will analyze how much blood lactate you have and uh, so during the again it's it's similar to a vo2 max test where you, there is a ramp but you don't go all the way to your maximal effort you, mm. there's no point because mm. you're measuring your uh, so it helps to uh, check your three physiological zones um So the three physiological zones are like endurance zone, tempo zone, and hard zone. It's just a uh, right. heavy zone. Right. And uh, so that's basically uh, so zone. Let's say the easy zone is called zone one, endurance zone. Right. So that's any effort which uh, keeps your oxygen, uh, your that effort level. So if you since we are talking about cycling, the a power value where you can. Uh, maintain for long durations of time uh maybe 3 hours 6 hours whatever and um uh, <clears throat> uh so yeah any any power value under that uh lactate threshold one okay correct called, uh, so the this the three zones are split by lactate threshold and lactate turn point and uh, so so also known as lactate threshold 1 and lactate threshold 2 lt1 and lt2 hmm. uh that's become quite common place in yeah. common place talk in the bangalore cycling right. these days so mm-hmm. that's good yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh yeah it to accurately calculate it you need to do these this performance test right um so so the zone 1 is low intensity and you can talk have conversations while you're 
uh, in that zone mm. in zone 2 which is between lt1 and lt2 you're uh, putting in slightly more effort where that's when your blood lactate starts to rise you know and and then um, zone 3 is a hard zone where it just continues right. is very hard yeah. very hard so and it's so lactate threshold to lactate turn point is uh, around where you have your ftp and cp values you know it's slightly before, before below that so say if you're uh, it varies from person to person because each person is different right but uh, you would say your lt2 would be like maybe 5% below that or little less than 5% right it again ट्रेनिंग इन जेड वन Or Z R Z three, yeah, not Z two. That's mm-hmm. the uh, main, uh, uh, you know, thing f- about uh, polarized training, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and while while uh, the thing with um, uh, this thing is that the threshold uh, uh, training methods or the speed spot uh, methods is mm-hmm. like you are more close to the uh, the that threshold, yeah. the more sweet spot. and maybe that that falls in z2 but not not exactly z3 kind of thing right yeah. the sweet spot method is uh, you know i i guess uh, more into tempo and sweet spot kind of zone, uh, zone. Mm-hmm. while uh, the polarized who, you know would prescribe against that and say do lot more z1 and uh, you know a little bit of yeah. a little bit of 20% 80 20 kind of uh, thing Mm. uh is that uh, accurate uh, in yeah. the, in the sense that the polarized and 80 20 i i tend to see them yeah. quite uh, you know quite close yeah so this uh, 80 20 thing is like picked up by this author who read these research papers and stuff mm-hmm. but the actual research is so i i want to give uh, props to the actual researchers the scientists who have been working so hard and been the found out these different methodologies of training right and uh, i feel bad that there's these few people who just pick up those papers and then give become them, millionaires from writing books on this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know um uh, props to those uh, sci- scientists out there who are doing great work mm-hmm. um yeah so they, it's not just 80 80 20 80 20 is like a very basic thing Correct. it could be 90 10 it could be 95 5 yeah it all varies on the type of sport you're doing the time of like depending on where you are in your training cycle it would vary right and some people don't even need 80 20 some people might need a way more intense schedule mm-hmm. and uh it's also not just uh, z3 you can also train in z2 so it's like 90 in or 80 in uh, zone 1 and distributed between zone 2 and zone 3 right also so it's it's variable and you know your coach has to prescribe accordingly based on so the coach understands in inter individual variability so what you give for training for me would be different from someone else right. because that same training yeah. doesn't work yeah right so uh yeah you might give me like um 80 0 
and uh, or 85 and 15 right for someone else you might give uh, 85 5 and uh, 10 right right so it it it's variable yeah uh, based on uh the athletes uh, you know where they are what their goals are and what are their availabilities for yeah. how, also know, all these also it's also with sport right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so triathlon would require more uh Z2 kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so long yeah. distance triathlon, so mm-hmm. Ironmans and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Those those would require lower, more low in, in right. intensity stuff. For faster, shorter triathlons like Olympic distance or sprint ones, you would move more towards Z3. 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 So yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you giving up uh, plain thing of eighty twenty has to always be followed is uh, not. Yeah, good. it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely, because. Um, like uh, we were talking about just uh, before it's also uh, you know nothing is set in stone yeah we are constantly learning you know from research you know one research might come uh, you know tomorrow saying okay this is trash <laughs> but then we are we have to be ready to kind of uh, you know look at all the studies and you know uh, make sense of it and it. take take what applies for us also yeah. right yeah. so this um, method of um, polarized training uh, came out of um, most norwegian uh, athlete studies i think yeah. right yeah. so i mean so he, dr steven seiler he got it more made it more common correct but uh, that this methodology was being used by uh, coaches and uh, scientists in Europe much earlier, so Correct. he came. He traveled. He kind to the of US. gave it a form. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, now, now that we are talking about various training methodologies, what what is your uh, preferred uh, kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Preferred training methodology, or what? What do you see working for most? Um, like i said it's very yeah, variable yeah, yes well, yeah uh polarized for most hmm. um but depending on people's goals so say there was one point at one point where uh, an athlete told me that uh one month away i want to win this race hmm. so for that person i can't give him polarized training cuz right. that's a slow process hmm. it'll work for longer term but for now correct uh i just have to assume that his uh, endurance is there and just give him some more high intensity stuff mm. so that you know his top end is there to be able to try and win the race so luckily for me or and for him that uh, he had that uh, endurance base right so he was able to he finished second because the guy who finished first was tactically smart <laughs> right so he so stuck that, to his wheel and then yeah. sprinted for the finish <laughs> so that yeah. the tactics uh, you know plays a big yeah. uh, role at the end which is why like cycling yeah. so much where yeah you may not be the strongest cyclist but if you're smart you can win yeah, yeah. but you still need to be strong you can <laughs> exactly you you have to get to a position where you can use those tactics yeah, right yeah. if you are you know dropped in the first acceleration <laughs> you yeah, yeah, all your tactics can uh, be maybe used in video games that's right so um yeah you can see this in pro cycling as well mm-hmm. uh, uh like several years ago so there was Nairo Quintana versus Chris Froome or uh, and Quintana was 
just as strong as Froome and probably even better than him at climbing. But the reason he didn't win is because his team tactics were very bad. Right. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> there were so many bad moves made by Movistar. Uh, yeah, whereas uh, uh, Sky and Sky did a good job. I mean, they didn't have to do much. Right. Uh, Movistar kind of imploded. Yeah. Uh, and that happens even now. You see, there's like uh, multiple opportunities. Like uh, Richard Carapaz, he's strong. He can. He's won a Grand Tour. He can still win Grand Tours. But his team doesn't... Uh, yeah, the team the also has to yeah. uh, be strong and then follow yeah. the tactics. Because he's, yeah. he's almost as good as Roglic or Pogacar or Remco or any of these people, you know. But his team tactics... And also, uh, yeah, team taxes also also play in if your team isn't strong enough. So how do you really make the best use of it? How do you make others work for you? All of those things, you know, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. So we talked about testing. We talked about, uh, you know, training methodologies a little bit and, you know, how they uh, kind of uh, help the performance. Um, so... Sorry, can I... Uh, yeah, yeah, plug my performance testing? Yes, yeah, yes. So I conduct so the critical power test uh, and so there are other performance tests also for cyclists like mm. the wingate test or a repeatable 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 sprintability test where mm. uh, it's mostly for sprinters to check their uh, sprint performance and their uh, uh, what's it called fatigue index which mm-hmm. helps them uh, find out how good they are at recovering from their sprint efforts and also uh, the lactate profile test uh, so I conduct conduct these tests and yeah, like coaches can consult me for their athletes so they can, the athletes can take these tests and the coaches can give better training prescription to right. the athletes yeah. using those tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm doing this in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. So anyone who wants that, you can... Nice, nice. So do, do you do these uh, indoors or outdoors? How, how do you... Um, Mostly indoors, but they can also be done outdoors. Right. It all depends on uh, yeah how, how you can. It's it's also about uh, you know how you can manage the logistics and stuff. Correct. Yeah. So, wingate tests because you're going so hard, mm. or the first type of uh, first methodology of doing the crit- critical power test. Mm. Those require really hard effort. So if your trainer isn't stable, you can't do it indoors anyway. Right. You have to do it outdoors. Yeah. Maybe on a hill or something. Hill or flat, but completely empty road. Completely empty road. <laughs> So, yeah, that stuff. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and not just... So, it's not just the test, but also um, following the right protocol and safety protocol. So, so for example, the lactate profile test, you need to be... Since you're collecting blood, you have to be very safe with it because there can be, like, hepatitis B, C, transmission, or other diseases can uh, pass on through blood. So, you have to be very safe, use completely sterilized equipment throughout the test. You know, if your gloves sterile gloves get damaged and you know, get change another one you know right. you have to be prepared for all of that and one is this the other is also about um, following the following the right uh, training methodology uh, the test protocol if you don't follow the test protocol correctly it, you're going to get inaccurate results so the entire point of the test goes mm. waste so um, yeah these things are very important Good, yeah. good, good. So, yeah, I mean, whoever uh, wants to send their athletes or, you know, who, whichever athlete that wants to, you know, yeah, get their uh, uh, all these tests done can uh, 
um, reach out to the consultant <laughs> on uh, the uh, what's the handle on uh, the insta the consultant right yeah. Uh, yeah. with the, the k website. yeah <laughs> k a n <laughs> yeah yeah also my website is the same right so i will uh, link the to consultant. the website and the uh, insta handles uh, in the show notes so that others can reach out thank you so um, much <laughs> yeah yeah of course so uh, now uh, there there are other aspects of uh, you know performance uh, how, how about you know injuries are common right? mm-hmm. so y- your um, uh, course also kind of uh, touch, touches upon uh, rehab and uh, yeah. uh, also the physical aspects of it and the mental aspects of it of yeah. rehab yeah. right so uh, let us go there and talk about uh, sure. that yeah so um, interesting story about the injury rehab so mm-hmm. once i did that course mm-hmm. i learned how to fix my injury and then i was able to run again right <laughs> pain free so that was great yeah right, yeah right and then later i found out that it's quite a common injury and can be easily fixed uh, you have one here right in front of you <laughs> the it the perineal itb issue is that is that that tight uh, what what is this mu- muscle called uh, in the hip uh, Lucas medius or you talking uh, about the soleus soleus oh, oh no 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 so yeah so yeah the tight soleus uh, that gets to me yeah all the time so mm-hmm. every time it, it first occurred uh, back in 2010 when i was training for my first marathon okay uh, i got injured on my third long run the 21k or something mm-hmm. like that after my first 21k i actually felt so good that runners high they say right yeah. i came back and uh, di- uh, you know wrote a poem on running wow. <laughs> right i'd like to hear it yeah i'll share it with you <laughs> <laughs> i would love to share it with you <laughs> but uh, yeah, second was also fine third uh, long run mm-hmm. i was i uh, walked back uh, the yeah, i think from halfway to the 21k i walked back the oh. 10 10 kilometers i had to walk back because i couldn't run that my left uh, itb was short okay then knee pain was like mm-hmm. uh, you know so since then whenever i um, start again and uh, reach around 10 kilometers or so mm-hmm. like it rears its uh, ugly head it's just because i don't take care of my you know tightness in the hips and mm-hmm. i don't release that uh, uh, those muscles yep. so it just gets tight and it goes into that injury mode it's on me i know that i have the knowledge <laughs> i have the theoretical knowledge it's just that implementations is shit yeah but the, it's not the psoas most likely not the psoas which is causing the issue it's probably the glute medius yeah uh, okay. or glute maximus not mm-hmm. the, so the psoas mostly is just the hip flexors in the lower back okay this one is uh, these are the more gluteal muscles which can be weak which mm-hmm. kind of uh, cause the Like okay so i mean i actually ended up ga- giving up on running oh, <laughs> oh i feel bad <laughs> so no bardiathlons for me no, no bardiathlons <laughs> for me anyway 
each of us were given a different athlete uh, to work with to help with their injuries i worked with the i had to work with a rugby player with a hamstring injury hamstring tear so i had to find ways to so i had to find which of the hamstring muscles which was injured and then what kind of rehab required for that so it was a really interesting course you would also learn about like the way the different muscles tendons ligaments bones all of them how they heal at different rates and what kind of uh, rehab needs to be done for all of this thing and i'm i'm still learning cuz i felt that course wasn't long enough it was just one module and uh, yeah so right now um i'm doing a lot of uh, study on rehab right. and the different muscle groups around the body so mm. yeah slowly getting better, better right better. right so what what exactly what exactly did you do to um, uh, get rid of your uh, itp because of course yeah. there is <laughs> yeah Oh uh so I worked like I said with for my glute muscles and I also checked if uh, there was any imbalance in my quad muscles so it could also be caused by like a, a weak vastus lateralis so the left outer outer quad muscle or uh, also the medialis the which is the inner quad muscle there could be some imbalance there or it could just be that the muscle is really tight hmm. so um so I worked on all of it together because mm. i was just was in a hurry right. so i don't know what exactly was the issue i, I think it's most likely the weak glutes mm-hmm. because i think sitting all day kind of uh, uh causes this thing called gluteal gluteal amnesia so the glutes stop firing the mm. it's n- mostly a neuromuscular connection where mm. the brain stops sending st- a strong enough signal to your uh, glute muscles your butt muscles mm. and uh, so they don't work well enough to provide support right yeah so uh, i don't have uh, enough of glutes to even <laughs> for them to fire <laughs> i think they are long dead <laughs> or they didn't come with them uh-huh. all right <laughs> so uh, that that uh, the physical aspect of it but uh, the mental aspects of uh, rehab yeah. what what do you focus on and stuff um so uh generally with uh, i understand that depending on the type of person individual i'm mm. speaking to mm. uh the athletes they go through the same uh different stages of depression mm. as uh a regular i mean a usual person does mm. and um so you want to work through that and also see at what level they are at and also uh apart from that you also you want to see what the mentality of the person is right. the person very uh, aggressive towards you know i want to get better quickly i'm going to do as uh, work as hard as i can to get better do all the exercises do them 10 times more than if i tell them to do two times they'll do it 10 times you know uh, and then you have people who are completely um, on the opposite days like i yeah. i don't want to do anything i'm just very and then you have people who are uh like level headed right <laughs> i mean that's uh, that's a little insulting to both but you know it's it uh in this context i mean 
people who have a balance between the two. But yeah, it's completely normal to be one or the other or any any of the three, hmm. uh, depending on where you are and what you've experienced in life and in, through sport. Right. Uh, someone who's been very, who's very aggressive initially through their first or second injury can become a very downtrodden person much later if right. those rehab and recovery haven't been working. So, you know, everyone go, can go through any of these phases. So you have to uh, kind of work through them and... Mm -hmm it's it's uh so people who push very hard you need to rein them back you know mm -hmm. like hold yourself back because if you push above the limit you're going to get re-injured and get uh or that injury is just going to get worse Correct. so you got to do a little less uh there was this interesting thing so the there's a uh, trainer for kobe bryant and he also worked with uh, michael jordan mm -hmm. so Kobe Bryant was one of those gung ho guys who would just go hard and do everything he wants. Right. And uh, sorry, I forgot his name. But uh, yeah, so um, he what he did for Kobe was he would tell him, okay, do one repetition. So then he would do the right amount. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He he would give him maybe like twenty percent of what he has to do so that he does the correct amount. Because <laughs> Bryant was all about going. Hard, Mamba wake up early. Mamba mentality. Mamba mentality. Yeah. It, yeah, so that works with competitive spirit when you're actually in the game and all of that. Mm. But we, When you're not injured. Yeah. yeah. But his overtraining, first of all, caused the injury because he was... That that made him successful in the first place. Which yeah, is yeah. a great thing. Yeah. And you can't just kick that out mm. of your body just to recover from the injury. You right. can't do that. So yeah. the your uh, rehab, uh, especially the physiotherapist, has to work uh, on understanding what is required for the athlete and then you know kind of yeah it's it's the conflict between that mind correct uh which is still like wanting to go hard because that mamba mentality or whatever mentality you yeah, have yeah. right you you want to still push yeah but the body is there in the opposite spectrum and you can't uh, go with that mind correct, yeah. and that conflict is always you know most of the times that kind of results you you know puts you in uh, a very hard place when mm -hmm. you have to undergo the rehab that yeah. my you i mean uh, that depression when you are not able to you know work out mm -hmm. uh, when those uh, endorphins are not uh, you know that endorphin supply is cut off yeah. you are uh, you know most of us are in a bad place right so yeah. they, you know you, you have to uh, you know be very patient in actually working with people uh, you know yeah. who are injured uh, who you are helping for, uh, get rehab right yeah, yeah. so uh, what what else um, can we talk about what are the things that uh, you know people can benefit from uh, uh, from whatever you learned over the years um yeah so um, let's stick with rehab a little yeah. get uh, deeper into it so yeah. um a lot of so rehab is a very um, misunderstood subject, mm -hmm. and uh, I find that a lot of doctors I come across are not very pro rehab in my own personal experience, mm -hmm. and also in the experience of uh, my like just right, uh, just rest, and it will exactly, be fine. Yeah. and that's that's uh, uh, made me lose several years of my own training, mm -hmm. and a lot of people uh, say they get have a have an ACL tear. That's a very common injury. Or a meniscus tear. Uh, these are... Uh, so, a, an ACL is a, a ligament in your knee. 
Hmm. So uh, that's uh, yeah, it's a very important ligament that right. keeps your knee together, and uh, so that's a very common injury uh, when your knee gets planted and you twist. Uh, that happens a lot in uh, these racket sports, ball sports, all of that. Um, so what what doctors do is okay, just uh, you're done with the this thing, you start your rehab, and. Uh, new research has come out which says that you need to start rehab as soon as possible hmm. and depending on the kind of injury or the kind of surgery is done uh, it can be anywhere from the day of the surgery to like three days four days later you shouldn't wait long because the longer you wait the slower the rate of recovery from the injury so if um, say I start on time so say I get this surgery done even though a lot of the times you don't need surgery, but say you got the surgery done and uh, three days later I start my rehab and I follow a consistent uh, rehab uh, program uh, designed by a qualified and knowledgeable professional. And they, my, I would probably recover in maybe three, depending on my age, I would recover in three months, maybe six months maximum. If I start, if I say, okay, I'm resting for two weeks and then I start my rehab, it's going to take a year to recover. Even though that those two weeks uh, or just 11 days of gap can right. double the time it takes for you to recover because there's so many things which are healing in the process, scar tissue which forms, range of motion which changes. So all of this kind of oh. uh, slows down your recovery dramatically. Dude, so, it, it, it hits home so bad hmm. that I have to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, around this time last year, I had a crash and uh, broke the uh, shoulder bone. And I had the surgery uh, July, July 3rd was my crash, July 4th, the American Independence Day was my <laughs> <laughs> surgery. And um, the doctors were uh, like, you know, you have to, you know, do these exercises, um, you know, from the, from day four or something like that. They said, you know, you have to do these rotations, do yeah. these movements and all that. And I was super scared because obviously there is pain and there mm -hmm. is like, I don't know, I'll do it like, you know, after a couple of weeks and yeah. stuff. And now I'm still, you know, I, I'm close to one year now. Yeah. I'm still working on my rehab because, right, I I I did not take that time to do those because I was scared. I was yeah. on the opposite uh, sp yeah. spectrum. I was like, I don't know what uh, is, <laughs> you know, going to be bad here. It's It hurts really bad. So I, yeah. I don't want to do those. Yeah. So that kind of set me back. I think you're still going on the rehab. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it makes um, so, so much sense. Yeah, yeah, this is where the psychology comes into place where the professionals should also understand that, okay, uh, they have to explain how the rehab process is going to look like. Right. They're, it's not always going to be linear. You're not mm -hmm. always going to be continuously improving. Right. You might have like suddenly one day during your rehab, oh, I feel so much more pain than I felt like two days ago. What oh, happened? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So you have to be patient. You reduce your intensity, relax a little bit and then continue. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to uh, 
feel like, oh no, you're injured again. Just stop all what you're doing because that happens. So there are ups and downs during a rehab. Oh, exactly but to... what happened for me as well. So there, there would be a, f- a few good days while doing it. And one day would be, oh, the pain is so terrible. I think I broke it again. Oh, exactly. And then I'll you know, stop for a week or two mm-hmm. and then start again. Yeah. It, it's a cycle that kind of can... So, uh, yeah, the, so the rehab and the, yeah. you know, actual, uh, you know, uh, good guidance there is yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. And and just like training, there has to be progression. Hmm. So, a lot of the times, uh, what uh, the physiotherapists recommend is just the most basic exercises. Hmm. And once you pass them, you know, you have to progress to a little harder, yeah. greater range of motion, a little more intense exercises mm. to mm. make it stronger. So, but the thing is that once it, it's a combination of both. One is that either physiotherapists don't mention that or that the athletes like, okay, I don't feel pain anymore. So it's all fine. And then they push a little bit and then they get injured again. Right. So it's. It takes it takes time. Even even though you don't feel pain, doesn't mean you've completely recovered. Mm. You have to continue that uh, strength and conditioning process to really uh, be. It's going to take some time. Yeah. You know? And you ideally want to reach a point where you're stronger than you were before the injury, so you know you don't re-injure the same right region. Soon, mm. <laughs> yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, I mean it. It kind of uh, you know uh, hits home. Uh, when you are talking about it, I can relate it so much because it's so fresh. Still, <laughs> I'm still working on yeah. that uh, strength and conditioning. Uh, so yeah, what what else? What else can we talk about? We uh, we covered uh, uh, quite a bit of ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, people can uh, reach out to you on uh, the consultant uh, yeah. website and uh, Insta handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been really fun catching up uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do so. Let's look at uh, what you have more. <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering if we can, uh, hmm. like, this would be a nice discussion to have, like, difference yeah. between uh, coaching and uh, consulting. So. All right. Yeah. The consultant <laughs> talks. <laughs> yeah. So for for the listeners, uh, the uh, consultant is uh, with a K. Because this is Siddharth Consult. It's a play on his uh, last name. Uh, say uh, So it is a K, K-A-N-S-A-L consultant. T-A-N-T <laughs> consultant. Uh, so yeah, the, let's uh, let's talk about that. That's a very nice topic. The uh, difference between yeah. coaching and uh, consulting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of people refer to me as a coach, mm. which might be correct in a certain circumstances, but not all. So... Mm. Uh, if it's considering um, running or cycling, where I have a little more knowledge about the sport, uh, I can tell them, okay, this is... So, uh, I... Okay, sorry, sorry. So, uh, there I can teach people about the technique and all the other aspects of the sport, you know, kind of strategizing and uh, strategizing races to training. I mean, training is part of the consulting bit. But... Uh, Basically, improving physiology is part of the consulting, but that's not what uh, coaching is all about. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you're a coach, so you know that it's not just just the 
pure number aspect that okay do this training today do this tomorrow do this the next day and that's my job done it's not right. that you you have to work with the athlete you have to go with them through ups and downs through their emotional distress exactly distress yeah. uh, or their upticks as well mm-hmm. and you know if if they're doing really well they feel very confident you know like yeah but you know yeah, hold back <laughs> a little bit yeah not so fast yeah. 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 uh yeah so the combination of all of that mm-hmm. uh, whereas consulting which is what i mostly do is uh, mostly about either helping the athlete directly about uh, what kind of things they can do to improve their what kind of exercises what kind of training plan they can devise to get a be- get better performance from their body uh, so this would be both through uh, 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 exercises and also through sport nutrition uh, so this can also be applied so a coach can consult me hmm. uh with like guidance so they would create so uh, it's not necessarily just for the cycling or running but it could be a different sport uh, right. like this this works more for uh ball sports and stuff where there's a lot of skill involved mm-hmm. so say tennis players they they have a great technique but the body isn't performing they aren't able to last a 3 hour match mm-hmm. or they aren't able to hit a hard enough forehand or backhand and stuff right. so uh that's where i can say okay you know these things need to be addressed this is the strength and conditioning thing which they need to do uh but at the same at the same time you know they have to also work on their skills because that's a major part of the sport right so there it's like the consulting job it's right. not a coaching job yeah, yeah. so that's uh, where i find a little hard because the co- coaches feel a little insecure that oh this person's going to come and take over my athlete but right. you know, that's right that's not what i'm trying to yeah, yeah. i just want uh the athlete to do better <laughs> yeah basically uh so yeah that's that's i feel um in india that's quite people don't find that separation mm. where uh, uh you know between coaching and consulting you, you know, i'm not really right, <laughs> right, trying to go right. yeah. yeah the same thing goes with these performance tests like uh, if uh, uh, i've approached a few people and they're like uh, oh no uh, maybe i i tell them that it'll be helpful for their athlete to mm. you know do this test but they right. they keep second guessing because they think okay now the athlete is going to run run to me right. so coach right. I'm not the coach I don't know the athlete well enough mm. you have a personal connection you have a good training plan and all of that I'm just here to kind of support that you know give you more information so that your athlete can bet- do better right. it's uh, yeah oh makes makes perfect sense makes perfect sense and um, what what else uh, we did we talk about nutrition Um, we did not yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's go there what uh, what 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 does a good nutrition uh, uh, plan look like uh, is it for cycling or any sport exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's start uh, with cycling okay so um so a lot of things this okay this is in general Le- first yeah yeah general first and then yeah. cycling yeah so uh, in general a uh, lot of people they think okay now that i'm taking the sport seriously let me run to supplements you know supplements this supplements that or oh, i need to take a protein supplement i need to take like a beta alanine thing i need to take caffeine i need to take uh, some other gels and whatever but you know kind of slow down so migrates beats everything yeah. yeah that stuff is good all yeah, of it yeah. is good but it has to have a correct timing and a correct time and place uh some people you know go overboard and you know uh go into banned substances which can harm their body uh so you know anything to get an edge right but you can't the 
you have to reach the edge to get the edge <laughs> so uh you need to b- build a good foundation of good food hmm. like you if you don't know if you're having a, you have a good diet or anything you can get a comprehensive blood test report see if you have any deficiencies a lot of people have deficiencies in various vitamins and minerals so you know work on those things first develop a good healthy eating and uh, recovery habits so eat well sleep well time your food well uh pre racing pre training post post training all of this so first develop these habits then you add on these sports nutrition aspects to it mm-hmm. so you, you improve your timing of your nutrition so just just before your ride you know you can just have an egg sandwich and go or right. if you're vegetarian just like a peanut butter or whatever yeah. whatever it may be right and go for your ride um you time it well so if you're going for a long ride you need to eat a little more uh, and maybe a little closer to your ride if you're going for a short ride hard intensity ride you want to move it further back so it digests yeah. in your stomach and then so that when you're going for a high high intensity effort you're not uh, you don't feel like puking mm. so stuff like this so get this these basics right right and then from there you move on to okay on the on the bike nutrition how do you eat what you need to eat right how often and how much yeah how, how much often, exactly yeah. so mm. so over over hydrating i mean yeah over hydrating in the sense that not just drinking a lot of water but also drinking a lot of water with uh high amounts of glucose and salts and stuff high amounts of glucose and salts can also get you dehydrated so you need mm. to measure the right amount there has to be a proper uh uh quantity of glucose and salts which you need during a ride um and it has to be balanced out with water to have a good uh, combination right. then from there you progress to okay say with your good nutrition and all of that you still feel like you're not recovering fast enough or your there are few things you feel like you're feeling a little weak maybe you're you needing to sleep instead of your regular 8 to 9 hours you want to sleep 10 to 12 hours then okay uh, maybe you need to start looking at increasing your protein intake through your regular food if you and even with your regular food if you can't increase it like you'll have to overeat then you kind of move on to okay let me get like a whey protein supplement or mm-hmm. uh, like a plant protein supplement and you know suppl- it's a supplement it's not the main uh, yeah that's uh, the key operational exactly. word right exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so let us touch up let us touch upon uh, the uh, you know how much uh, we talked about uh, you know if we have too much in the uh, too too much glucose mm-hmm. in the uh, and salts in the uh, drink yeah. it it can uh, lead to dehydration Correct. so what 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 would be a typical uh, range that could you know that could be kind of work for most people mm-hmm. and uh, where they can start and kind of experiment and see what works best for them uh, would it be like 60 to 90 grams per hour kind of uh, scene how is that yeah so uh, body metabolizes the different sugars differently mm. so if you're taking just pure glucose um then if you have more than 60 grams it your body is not going to uh, utilize absorb it, it. absorb yeah. it mm. so you 60 grams per hour mm. of glucose correct so uh, if you have more than that you are either in a good in a in a good case you're just going to pee it out mm. or in a in bad circumstances you're going to have stomach issues right and even even if i uh, say you just started cycling and you say okay when have 60 grams of glucose for, per hour 
during your ride hmm. now um suddenly the person can start developing gastrointestinal issues because body takes time to get used get to being used able to, to yeah. uh, absorb and digest the nutrition while doing your cycle rides or runs or whatever sport mm-hmm. you're doing mm-hmm. so and it's not that you always have to reach the highest level so uh, like we discussed earlier about the zones mm-hmm. so if you're in an easier zone you don't have to consume as much sugar exactly right? yeah and if you're going harder you might have to consume more and sometimes it goes over so you can't consume enough to replenish the amount you're using especially yeah. in races and stuff where yeah. high intensity is higher we that, tend to uh, you know go with the similar nutrition that uh, we use for our uh, normal rides right. and that is where most of us kind of go wrong because mm. your needs your, because the intensity is that right. much higher right. your nutritional needs also go higher yep that's why you know if you are able to do a 100 km ride for on a couple of bottles it doesn't mean that you can do a 100 km race with a couple of bottles <laughs> that's right yeah. right <laughs> yeah. so you got to understand that and you know uh, be prepared accordingly mm-hmm. and of course this is something that we learned yeah. <laughs> with <laughs> a lot lot of trials and errors yeah. and a lot of bonking <laughs> but yeah yeah, yeah. I I make this mistake even now even though I have the <laughs> knowledge right uh, I I do this like if I just uh, say I haven't raced for a while now mm. so if I just get back to a race just now uh, I'm going to make that mistake cuz right. my body isn't used to consuming the 60 grams per right. so yeah. I just consume and I'll be like oh, I can't move yeah. I'm then I feel like I'm bonking but why am I bonking I had enough food right. what's going on and then that's because my body isn't used to it anymore mm. so I need to do some training train it again to all over again yeah. like we train the body again again you know gradually exactly you, you have to go train the gut again to kind of that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. right so what else what else uh, can we touch upon <laughs> right uh, i i gather that you have some notes yeah um yeah. i wanted to talk about like uh, uh, coaching mm. in general like mm. uh, uh, i feel like there's certain responsibilities coaches have for their athletes right um you know to be one is to be honest and also honest uh to the athlete about their performance and uh, uh what's going on with them right and also uh about themselves mm. and their own knowledge mm. and uh, sometimes coaches they go beyond what's uh, what knowledge they have but they kind of uh, you know wing it like oh you know i i know this stuff right they'll uh, maybe read a little bit online and say okay i pick up this word here this word here right. and then the athlete thinks i know that stuff but you know you are causing harm to your athlete if in critical circumstances you're uh, messing around with things you don't know hmm. uh, like uh, a lot of um, you you see a lot of people getting uh, uh, dope testing violations you get those mm. and then you also have people who aren't training perfectly right or they overtraining like uh, overtraining is so so correct. frequent and so often yeah one of my uh, one of the athletes who came to me she was uh, her previous coach didn't give her any rest weeks mm. she had been overtraining for 6 months she was completely dead and she's like why i'm training so much i'm not improving i'm becoming worse what's going on mm. and and then i found out that 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 coach is giving the same plan to all of the athletes he's coaching mm. so the best athlete and the i mean the strongest athlete versus the 
weaker athletes versus the most beginner athletes you know it's you can't give the same training you have to be responsible it's just okay just because um you're you are famous and you're doing a good job doesn't mean that uh, in your own sport doesn't mean that you can like uh, Uh, mess with other people who are putting their trust in you right right yeah and that this luckily she stopped after 6 months right if this had gone on for 2 years uh overtraining can be terrible you can be uh your muscles can be uh in a really bad state and you can't really do anything mentally and physically so it it not just affects your muscles and tendons it also affects your uh, nervous system and the connection to your uh, so all of that can cause it can take years to recover from and that's that's really years years is actually putting it mildly because yeah. it can mess up uh, your entire career and also you know in general health right exactly yeah, yeah. It also it doesn't mean uh, you know same plan for uh, athletes um, at different uh, capabilities is one thing yeah. but even the best of the athletes will need the rest weeks and stuff right yeah. you got to you got to take that in uh, a yeah. intensity can be you know more and stuff like that but rest is needed yeah. for every damn person yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know yeah that that i completely uh, agree with you because as a coach you're a coach doesn't mean that you know everything no no and you don't need to project that you know everything exactly yeah right so this is something that it is a learning process uh, for everyone right when you are uh, you know when you are trusted with uh, mm. someone else's training plan and progression mm. it means that you are agreeing to work with him for his betterment mm-hmm. that in the process you are also becoming better learning stuff yeah. uh, and becoming a better person and better coach yeah. right you got to understand that it doesn't mean that you are the all knowing one omniscient right <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Yeah. so th- that there the i mean honesty mm. becomes the bedrock f- yeah. of anything we do yeah. right if we are uh, if you are not honest with yourself Correct. you can't do uh, you know well with anything that you do so mm. that becomes a bedrock and that's a very very good point yeah. you know uh, we have to start there yeah so yeah it's same uh, mm. i i like that you said that uh, there's also this circ- certain circumstances when someone comes uh, mm. to me with say some issue maybe an injury right and it's something which i'm not familiar with a body part yeah. i'm not yeah. familiar with that say okay you know go to a doctor first mm. get a, go to a good doctor find out what they say mm. you know get a good rehab plan mm. i can look over it and see cuz uh, i understand the basics of it but i wouldn't know exactly what to do right, right. so i would know whether the plan is good or not and i would tell them try for tell them okay maybe mm. try a different person mm-hmm. or if that's working well I'll say okay go ahead right. but yeah uh, you have to have uh, yeah which is why that the, these things you know when i notice i don't know these things it kind of pushes me to oh I, there's so much more to learn it's so much fun exactly you know? yeah <laughs> yeah Uh, if we know if we know, know everything <laughs> if you can you can't possibly know everything and if you think you know everything uh, and w- what else is there to do in life man yes. 
right like for example uh, i'm not familiar with heart rate variability training mm-hmm. so if someone comes and asks me about it i'll say yeah i know a little bit like i re- read some initial papers which talked about that it's not completely clear but you can create a um uh, you can find a pattern for each individual mm. so you can check your own heart rate variability and check get that but i don't know it in depth so i i'll just tell them point blank i don't know that mm. um maybe i can study a bit i should study right. it a little yeah. more to you know find mm. out more about it mm. but yeah I, i right now i'm studying about so many other things so i can't put in so you know these things you right. have to be humble and you have to be honest yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's very important <laughs> absolutely absolutely anything else that you can talk about <laughs> oh right uh, i keep uh, uh going away from nutrition <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh there's this um you know about the nitrate thing right the dietary nitrate you touched right on. right right yeah yeah the beets yeah beets mm. so yeah. it's a really cool thing and i wanted to talk about how uh, uh it affects regular people like us mm-hmm. a little more serious cyclists and then elite right uh, people like roglic yeah <laughs> yeah uh, um so it's it's a very cool mechanism mm. of the body this is what makes uh, i'm ex- <laughs> i'm going to explain why sports science is so interesting to me right, right. Uh, so dietary nitrate is available not just in beetroot uh, like most people know but in a lot, lot of other vegetables like uh, spinach uh, chinese cabbage uh, mm-hmm. radish celery all of these things in different quantities mm. um, and when you consume it the body processes it and processes it Yeah. Okay. yeah 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 <laughs> you you're all right go there like yeah and uh, so then it goes to your uh, salivary glands mm. and the bacteria there mm. uh breaks it down breaks it down to mm. uh, nitrite mm. okay and then that goes back into your stomach and the acids in your stomach convert it to Ah, so that's then, why they don't they don't they ask you not to brush after uh, consuming uh, the beet uh, yeah. thing yeah. ah now it makes sense yeah and then so so then from the stomach it goes to your uh, liver hmm. liver con- converts the no back to nitrite hmm. which is then sent to the spread to the blood vessels and the nitrite helps to dilate the blood vessels so make them wider mm. so that there's more blood flowing through each blood vessel and then there's more blood for your muscles to yeah man so it helps improve the endurance there is so, so cool. the body is <laughs> amazing yeah. right the, the way it works yeah. and it's all really fascinating how all these now it is uh, there is this uh, ketones uh, is a big thing yeah. in the propeloton yeah. and the, you know people it's shown mixed results but yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean yeah people will every few years something will yeah. be like uh, at the top of their uh, yeah. agenda and they will be trying all these things and say okay maybe it's also uh, to mask something else yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> there can be that's uh, things yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. oh so uh going back to nitrate about so this for this works for most people mm. almost everyone right but then when it goes to the most they f- did the same research uh nitrate research on um the most elite sports people mm-hmm. you know best runners 
best cyclists, mm-hmm. you know, the top of the line guys, basically professionals, right. not just, not just the very cream, but mm-hmm. like most professionals. Right. And they found that nitrate doesn't help them. Ah, and interesting. Like, and they're like, why, why doesn't it help? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. And then they found that the blood capillary density, so the amount of blood vessels, uh, which go into your muscles, mm. which go into the muscles of the professionals, is so great that the vasodilation dilation doesn't increase the amount of blood which is flowing because it's already at the max. At the max. Oh. So that just shows the kind of diff- like physiologically they're so different from us. We, right. We're like mere mortals. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that that yeah, that, that's so fascinating, yeah. right? And uh, we look at them uh, going up a hill uh, at uh, 30, 35 kmph. Uh, <laughs> And it's like, oh, maybe I can do it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. The, the, because the years of training, the Correct. volume of training, the intensity of training, everything kind of contributes to the Correct. change in physiology over mm-hmm. the years, right? Yes. And they become from mortals, maybe they would have started, uh, maybe gen- genetically gifted mortals, yeah. uh, they might have been, but when they started, but they, they're they're not the same now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, what works for us might not work for them, yeah. and uh, what works for them might not work for us. Exactly, yeah. which is why the training has to be different. <laughs> the training has to be different. You, do, you don't just have to, uh, I mean, follow some uh, pro athletes and uh, on Strava and uh, copy their workout yeah. and do and ex- uh, expect the same results, right? Yeah. You'll probably die <laughs> next day. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So this is what I wanted to talk. I wanted to express. <laughs> it's yeah. so interesting. I mean, it is. It is. I feel like why why aren't more people doing sports science? It's so much fun. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's uh, very very interesting. So anything else that we can touch upon? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Another thing is um about research and um what's good research what's bad research because research everyone's like okay this research paper it's peer reviewed and everything so it must be good but no a lot of uh, peers i mean the papers aren't well reviewed mm. and so poor quality research comes out um and that's the case with also uh scientist mentality as well i'll touch upon that as well uh, right so uh, you can't just so, so as a coach or as an athlete if you're coaching yourself and trying to improve your knowledge it's better if you kind of read the research research papers through and through uh, so that you actually understand if the methods used in the research are good hmm. because um, say they're kind uh, let's say you are the people they've included in this, and if it's applicable to you, say the people they've included in the study are sedentary people, hmm. right? Uh, people who haven't don't exercise much, and then they've given them X Y Z training plan, and then they uh, they see performance improvement, and then they publish that. Oh, this training plan's great. Right. But you know, any any training stimulus is going to help a sedentary person. Absolutely. Right? 
uh that's why we see so much uh, you know 30% uh, improvement in ftp uh-huh. and all that when we start uh, exactly. know, yeah. initially yeah. and then now sees 30% yeah. now forget 30 watts you know, 3 <laughs> watts would be a <laughs> yeah. you know bonus yeah yeah so your training plan uh, if you're getting it from these experimental studies you have to see if it's applicable to you hmm. and even after it's applicable you have to see if it's actually you're responding to the training right so say uh, you and i are uh the same age same uh, ftp all of that like all of these parameters are the same mm. i'll give you a training plan saying okay do a 5 minute interval and the same plan plan to me you will improve and i won't improve and it's like what's going on we are the same no it's not happening right. that's because there is so much variability even if you are at the same level exactly the same level right. uh so yeah that's why you need to like cater it to your athlete and mm. uh so this is where uh, uh one is picking the right studies and mm-hmm. also some studies are completely useless right. yeah so where the methodology used there are so many errors you can't repeat the study again mm-hmm. so if someone else conducts the same study you're not going to get the same result so that shows right. like okay that research is not that mm-hmm. effective mm-hmm. you know um so yeah those those kind of research papers so you reading reading through all of them will make you understand okay this is not right this is right so yeah yeah that's uh, so yeah. Uh, coming to like uh, scientists who uh, are not doing good job anymore right right so uh, when you start off as a researcher you know you're always trying to improve the knowledge trying to get it better and um, then over time you kind of develop your biases and things which you like to do and which you think are effective everyone does that in yeah. every sport every workplace anything right yeah like right even i i don't like keto diet you know yeah. like oh this is bad, terrible but <laughs> but uh, the thing is that um, if you don't keep an open mind you're not going to learn more you're not going to see different variabilities uh, so there was Uh, an example for that is there was um uh, i was talking about the vo2 max test right, right. there's a uh, the traditional test which has been used for uh, several years and uh, someone decided someone thought a researcher thought okay let's see let me see if i can find a better way mm. to do do the vo2 max test maybe right. find a better better accuracy and higher vo2 max values so he came up with this uh, methodology and uh, they he tested it and he found good results so then he published that paper and then other scientists from other universities are like no this guy is useless then they started trying to bring him down and he was because those scientists were more prominent they kind of brought down his research and it's not that well known anymore <laughs> and that's those are, that's an example of bad scientists who are when they started off they were doing great jobs and they improving science but then once they developed that bias that okay this is it this is the only right method then they kind of trying to shun down all the other methods yeah yeah so, this this kind of hap- i mean ha- uh, this is an age old pro- problem right yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know from i don't know when it this has been going on yeah, like yeah. Uh, people uh, you know coming up with new uh, knowledge new proposals new theories uh, you know getting uh, shouted at and yeah. uh, you know uh, shunned at and uh, what even uh, death penalties and all oh, right right right, right? <laughs> you know that you know back in the days mm. uh, but it is it is happening in a more uh, uh, so you know, 
if you can call us blessed <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah it, it it is not really right yeah. but uh, it it is still happening mm-hmm. we all kind of tend to um, get cozy with our own That's comfort right. zones and uh, you know don't want to go out of it yeah. anymore we are uh, even that happens any like you're saying it happens uh, all the time mm-hmm. at, all the places like yeah. workplaces and all you as an angster you would have started doing uh, you know working your ass off trying really curious yeah. and all that now you are in a different uh, place uh, in life and you don't want to do that <laughs> anymore but when you see someone doing it you have to be you know open minded and right. helping them right? exactly yeah. but that doesn't always happen so mm-hmm. that Yeah, that is uh, a problem i i guess even in scientific community yes. uh, you know. <laughs> right. Right. yeah so i have to keep telling when i fall into that and then i realize oh i'm doing that yeah, yeah. like yeah. okay stop that yeah. be open minded right because right. yeah it yeah that's mm-hmm. that's something uh, i think even even as a coach i kind of uh, mm-hmm. sometimes i fall into this rut of doing the same mm-hmm. you know following the same methodology it's like okay then uh, I think a few months ago I did this uh, mm-hmm. like I stopped and said okay is my am I training my clients properly am I doing everything right even though I've been doing this for a while and I feel like mm-hmm. I'm getting results mm-hmm. is everything right you know you yeah. have to self analyze criticize yeah which is yeah, I felt like it was a good exercise yeah. no that is def- definitely needed for us to kind of uh, you know introspect from time to time mm. right yeah. we can get into that right um, in almost most aspects of life so mm. that you have to you, you know as an athlete are you doing the right stuff you know is it some is something that worked for you years ago is it still good enough right right exactly yeah. and uh, as a coach you have to look at it and say that worked well for that athlete is it good enough for this athlete mm-hmm. right i mean can you just uh, copy paste that exactly and uh, expect the same results mm-hmm. so it's not the case yeah. right so you kind of have to ask yourself stop and introspect mm. and that is always a good exercise yeah. to do it's yeah. also very hard Ma- <laughs> ah man because yeah. we um, like uh, you know the same mind that uh, you know came up with the problem might not be the right one <laughs> to solve it right so that's a hard problem to solve yeah, no. you got to do it mm. somehow right yeah. <laughs> awesome man uh, so uh, super fun Yes. So, anything else that we want to talk about? Um, yeah. Uh, I was thinking of like a couple of things. Like, uh, there's certain uh athletes. Like, I, I guess this can be like I wanted to know from you as as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of athletes do you feel like? Uh, what separates mm. uh a really good athlete from like an elite athlete? Mm. Like. <clears throat> not elite but for example uh so novak djokovic said this recently mm. he said that in tennis at the pro level everyone mm. has a good forehand everyone has a good backhand mm. everyone has a great serve mm. everyone has good uh, endurance mm. what separates people is the mentality absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, do you have you noticed that in athletes you work with or from people in the bangla cycling community or anywhere else like yeah see that 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 we notice i mean i tend to notice uh, uh 
a lot. I mean, that is some, uh, that is an observation that is not original to me, but mm. uh, that, you know, that's fine. That, you know, that is, uh, I, I've, um, I've noticed that and I completely agree with that because um, peop, uh, we all kind of more or less, you know, you, if you look at the top athletes, mm. uh, physiologically, the training wise and all that, they more or less are at the similar kind of level. Mm. What separates them um, apart from the team budgets, I think, <laughs> you know, that, that plays a you know, big enough role. Mm. But apart from that, I think the mentality, you know, plays a huge role. Let us, let us say, uh, let us take the case of Roglich, hmm. right? Uh, what happened w with him uh, in TDF, uh, uh, where he lost the uh, tour on the last day, time trial, yeah. okay? W if something like that happens mm -hmm. for another guy, how do you think that kind of uh, affects that person? I would think for me, for most people, mm. it would be the end of their career. Mm -hmm. Because it can, such things can put so much dent in their psyche right. that it would be almost impossible to get back from that. Mm -hmm. Right? But what what is the thing that, you know, how, how does the Roglic yeah. deal with it? I mean, it is amazing the uh, kind of positive attitude, mm -hmm. the kind of how he has dealt with a setback like that. Yeah. It's like amazing, so inspirational, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, coming back to it, uh, it you know, uh, mentality plays huge, huge mm -hmm. role. You know, mentality also kind of uh, becomes the basis for the amount of work you are willing to put uh, right right so that also uh, is a big thing you know the mental the killer instinct that mm -hmm. one has becomes the basis for mm -hmm. the motivation for uh, you know putting in that extra mile mm -hmm. uh, you know i i i growing up i was a big fan of uh, michael jordan mm. and the kind of killer instinct he has exactly. the mentality he has Man, that is yeah. crazy stuff. And you see that same in Kobe, yeah. right? And you you see how the results of that, right? Yeah. So I think mentality makes or breaks, you mm. know. I mean, don't I, I, I always look at, uh, you know, an example closer by mm. we, uh, someone like NJ. Mm -hmm. the men his mentality and his work ethic, yeah. He's so inspirational. Yeah, he even works now, so hard. <laughs> man, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> even now, he's uh, 36 now. Mm. And the kind of improvements, even he is putting out the best numbers for him at 36. Yes. Because he still believes that he can do, you know, a better mm. job. He can squeeze a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah. It's not that he hasn't done enough over the last exactly. uh, 12, 13 years. He yeah. has done. But still he's squeezing. And now uh, <laughs> someone like me says, eh, I am I am past all that, uh, you know. Yeah. It's, it's the mentality that, you know, you, yeah. what you are willing to put yourself through.
yeah. is a down to the mentality, right? That makes or breaks your careers. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. getting goosebumps when you were telling me about all of that. It's like, yeah, it really hits. Yeah, yeah, man. That that is really uh, that's the bedrock of all all things performance. I think mm. in in almost all parts of our life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, it's really nice to hear that from another coach and uh, mm-hmm. like seeing so many athletes all these years. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is a uh, super fun man. Yeah, I, I really, uh, you know, it it was super fun geeking out yeah. uh, all things uh, performance yeah. and coaching with you. Yeah, like uh, yeah. I I think we should do it. Uh, you know more. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to give more examples, like the nitrate one. <laughs> let's let's uh, you know do a round two, three, four, whenever, you know, however uh, it many it takes. Uh-huh. Let's let's do that. But uh, now for now, let's uh, wrap it up sure. here. Yeah. And uh, super fun. And I'll uh, share all the uh, li- links to your website and uh, okay. the socials on the show notes so that. Um, people can reach out to the consultant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, super fun. Thank yeah. you for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> that was my conversation with Siddharth Kansal. I hope you enjoyed that. If you are enjoying these podcasts and are finding them useful, please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing to it on YouTube as well as on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps. Also, Supporting the sponsors of the podcast is a great way to support the podcast itself. This episode is brought to you by findbetter.ai and thebikeaffair.com. Thanks again for your continuous support. See you next week with another guest.